Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. Portfolio construction and risk management are tasks that take you away from where you need to be, building relationships with your clients. Aberdeen Standard Investments can support you by creating bespoke investment solutions. Outsourcing portfolio and risk management creates efficiencies, enabling you to focus on fulfilling the ambitions of both your clients and your business. This podcast is being prepared with cares based on sources believed to be reliable and all opinions expressed are honestly held at the applicable date. However, it is general information only and we accept no liability for any errors or omissions. Just be prepared without taking into account the particular objectives, financial situation or needs of any investor. Investing involves risk, including the risk of losing capital. It's important that before acting, investors should consider the their own circumstances, objectives, and financial situation. The information's appropriateness to them and consult financial and tax advisors. Investors should consider the PDS available at AberdeenStandard.com before making an investment decision. Products issued by Aberdeen Standard Investments Australia Limited, ABM 59002123364, AFSL number 204263. Thanks for joining us again on the XY Advisor podcast. My name is Fraser Jack, and I'm joined with me today by Hayley Knight. Welcome. Hello, Fraser. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. That's your second appearance on the XY Advisor podcast. A couple of years on, you were back in episode number 127. Oh, really? I didn't realize that was the number. Yes, I have uh, learned a lot since then. So hopefully this one has a bit more fresh value and content for you. I'm sure it will. I know it will impact. Uh, now, this is, of course, uh, an episode we're talking about uh, the uh, Scale Up series, and we're talking about all things scale and advisors being able to you know, grow a business or, or increase their capacity or their efficiency or their effectiveness. Uh, and today we're talking about doing that through the concept of you know, outsourcing uh, from a staff point of view or a task point of view, and really looking at how can how can advisors make the most out of their own time by doing that the tasks that they're you know should their their income producing tasks, which is spending time in front of clients, uh, and uh, and utilizing uh, other staff in a really efficient and effective manner. So thank you for joining us today. Quickly, I thought we might just quickly start. If you want to give the listeners a quick overview of you and your business at the moment and how you've set it up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been in power planning for probably fifteen plus years. I started off just as most power planners doing my study, junior, working full-time, completing my studies. And after about eight years of power planning, I decided to get into subcontracting. Um, That's when I started working uh, for CPS when it was first founded by Lee Shodell. And uh, about a year later, I I took it over and that was back in 2013. Uh, So we've grown a lot since then over the last eight years. uh, We've got a huge team, um, about 26 uh, contractors and two admin staff now. And uh, we service advisors all over the nation with a lot of them on the East Coast. So hello to any advisors who are listening uh, who are also our clients today. Fantastic. Yeah. So 20, 26 power planners, that's quite a lot. And, uh, and as you said, grown fairly well. And I, I love the stat that uh, you've done over 4,000 statements of advice for advisors. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to uh, take credit for that, but I uh, haven't written many for quite a while. So my team are, are very good at it, um, which is a big part of uh, the recruitment process with them. Um, but yes, they are very good. We have seen all spectrums of um, uh, advice and SOAs and that kind of thing. So um, it is definitely our jam. 
Yes, fantastic. Now, we're not going to get into the, 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 the intricate details of the SOA at the moment. We could uh, talk about that all day, I think. But um, we really want to um, explore the concept of finding the right staff and, and um, you know, going through that process of how do you actually, you know, outsource? What's the, what, are the, what are the ways that work, I guess? Uh, what are the ways that don't work? And I know you put together a bit of a guide um, with sort of five main points on it. So if it's okay, would you run through those? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we did find that a lot of advisors, and this can apply for both outsourcing and in-house uh, recruitment of power planners, um, a lot of advisors just weren't sure what to look for in a power planner when they were recruiting. Um, so this is what the guide kind of steps you through the things to really look for. Um, so the first step is to, um, you need to really pay attention when you're doing those initial interviews in your recruitment. So um, make sure that you pick the right person. So that's a lot easier said than done. Um, but picking the right person, we've broken that down to a couple of micro steps. And uh, the first one is your software skills. So this is pretty much a given. Now, the things to look for with software skills. So people could have used a particular software for a couple of years and not really know it. Um, so with software skills, we try to ask very specific questions in scenarios. So saying, um, can you talk me through the process of how you would merge out an SOA and what tools you would use or um, what happens when this kind of error comes up in the modeling? What does that normally say? Um, and that will give you an indication of their understanding of the software and its capability because you want someone who really knows it to get the most out of it because I know that it can cost a fair bit in subscription. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a really interesting point, spending some time uh, in the interview or with the person and making sure that they go through, that they can demonstrate to you uh, what their software skills are when it comes to the, the specific software that's being used. Um, how do you go about that in, like in a practical term? Do you do a little test or test their skills in some way or is it just you taking them? Yes, um, so you could do it verbally. But uh, what I've seen done before, and which I think works quite well, is that you can either screen share with them, say on Zoom or um, open up your software, or if they're in there, you could do that on, on a projector if you wanted to do that. And just say, here's our test client. Um, can you do an insurance comparison? Give them a little case study to work on and just watch them as they work through it. Um, you'll, you'll be able to see how quickly and how much ease they work through it. Um, it'll give you a pretty strong understanding for what they know straight up. Yeah, so just watching where they click and how fast they are to be able to get to the next yeah. part of the process. Yeah. Fantastic. What, uh, what's, what's next after that? Uh, so the next one is their writing skills. So this one, um, it, it, it's really quite important. And I know that everybody set has done their, you know, year 12 English at high school. This is a little bit different because, a good power planner knows how to communicate the advice and explain it to a client who doesn't have that technical knowledge, right? So um, an easy way to see this is ask for an example SOA from them, uh, which power planners can do if they take all the identification stuff out. Um, if you can't get that, other ways that you can have a look is, is their resume very simply, is it easy to understand? Can you capture what they're saying quite quickly? Other things, look at their LinkedIn bio, are you rereading sentences? Is it hard to understand? You know, is it communicating very well um, when it comes to how they write? Because that's how it's going to come across as well in the SOA. So you want someone 
who can clearly explain something in written text um, so easily, so they can easily communicate that to the uh, client who's receiving the advice. Yeah, this is a really, really important skill, isn't it? And it's sort of one that comes with a bit of experience, but also, uh, I, you know, it could well be, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, you know, often somebody who's very big on the detail likes to explain things in a way uh, where they're very big on the detail. Um, and the person, well, often if somebody's reading it, they just want to know the outcome. So it could be quite a misalignment. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And like, also people learn different ways. So um, if if you're kind of finding that the client isn't understanding that advice, it could be a case of saying, I'm going to do a flow chart as well as written text and making sure that we are kind of writing to both uh, types of learners. Um but it, it is very, that's the main, that's a main point of a of paraplanet is to be able to break down that technical jargon and explain it to a client because an advisor is doing that in the meeting verbally. Uh, we need to document that. Yeah. And this is where uh, um, a lot of, I guess, advisors and planners will want to have their own sort of text in certain things that, that describe a strategy in a particular way. Is that, is that also be correct? Yeah, yeah. So um, a lot of advisors uh, tend to what they have, they have preferences in the way things are worded. So um, you would have a licensee template. And then sometimes advisor go, I use this strategy all the time. I found that this type of text works really well with my clients and it kind of um, represents them quite well. So um, advisors do have, you know, some advisors do have specific preferences in the wording of the text as well, um, which I can help um, help you with how to communicate that to your paraplanner later down in the series. But um, yeah, it, it is important to really understand the language that you're going to use in the SOA to make sure it's clear. Yeah, fantastic. So um, them understanding the software, then being able to articulate themselves in a, in a manner or the, or, the, or the information in a manner which the client can understand. Uh, what's the next area? Yeah, so the next one is um, your strategy experience. So this kind of ties in with your software skills and the way that you communicate. Um, but tech, you obviously have to have some kind of technical knowledge, right? Um, and so obvious ways of finding that is through what studies or qualifications they have. But you could be like me, and there are paraplaners out there like me who have done, you know, a fair bit of study. And if you ask me a technical question today, I'm probably not the best person to ask. So um, you could use this in your case study, say with your, um, when you're running through the drill with your paraplanet in the meeting and you've got your um, run through of the software, you could say, let's start off with this case study. Here's Tom, he's 50, he's doing X, Y, Z. Um, what do you think at a high level would be a good strategy for him or things for us to consider initially? And that will give you an indication for what their technical skills are like. With that case study as well, if you are, say, primarily a retirement advisor and you don't do much risk advice, make have your case study that's kind of geared towards that to see if they do specialise in that area as well because that will help you down the track as well. Yeah, so there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, it's very common for advisors to specialise in certain areas. Is that the, is that the same for paraplaners? Uh, yes and no. So you'll find uh, contractors at the moment, uh, they're, they're pretty much experienced across the board. And the reason they do that is to pick up the most amount of work. Um, 
but we're starting to see a specialization of power planners and because advisors are also starting to really niche, have a niche. Um, and so it's kind of just adapting with the market. Uh, but at the moment, most uh, power planners you'll find are still experienced across the board technically. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, now, the next step in the process, um, you've got here uh, a comment about first impressions in the interview. Yeah, so this, um, I actually think this is really important um, because sometimes power planners do have uh, face-to-face interactions with advisors, uh, sorry, not advisors, clients, um, depending on if they're in-house or outsourced, obviously. But I think you really need to ask yourself the question, is this someone who I would be comfortable talking to my clients um, and interacting with my clients? Um, and a way to get a good gauge of that is when you first meet them, how did you actually feel? Like, where you're like, oh, this is someone who's really trustworthy. I feel like they know what they're talking about. They're kind, they listen. Um, or is it, do you feel like you're kind of pulling back a bit when you're talking to them and you're not quite sure? Um, so first impressions are really, to me, are really important because I feel like they're the basis of that relationship between the advisor and the paraplanner. Yeah, fantastic. And um, talk to me about the the idea around um, assessing their skills. And we've, we've just sort of been through the, the main things that they should have, but how do they, how would an, an advisor go and sort of ask a, a paraplanner to, you know, demonstrate those skills? Yeah, so apart from doing a, a case study, um, you can also ask for examples of their work, like their actual work. Um, sometimes they, you can have a look at their assignments from their um, studies uh, that could give you an indication. Um, but I, I think a, another thing that we do in our interviews with our paraplanners is we actually get a gauge for their experience as a whole um, by asking a few simple questions. And one of those questions is, how long would a super and risk SOA take you? And I know it's a question is how long is a piece of string, right? There's so many variables in that, but their answer will give me a strong indication for how much they actually know and what their experience overall is. So um, say, for example, if I had someone come in and say, oh, I'll have that done in two hours. Um, to me, it's like, okay, I don't know how much attention to detail they actually have or are they actually asking the right questions? I've had other people respond to me saying, oh, it's probably about 10 plus hours. And you're like, okay, you know, that also gives you an indication of how they work. Do they overestimate things? Do they think too much about things? And then finally, the other response I typically get, and it's very much a paraplanner response, is I'm going to need more information. Can you tell me blah, 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 blah. Um, and that gives me a strong kind of feeling as to what their experience is and what they're going to be like to work with overall. Yeah. Cause a big part of this is obviously, you know, the asking the right questions to start with, um, and, and with a short question around, you know, how long would that take? And obviously the answer is it depends always. The answer is always, it depends. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. What, what sort of, um, timeframes would you be looking for in something like that? Yeah, so um, for a super and risk SOA, and I'm going to give away the answer to any potential paraplanners. <laughs> so, so I'm going to have to change your question slightly. So they, um, although they will get bonus points for listening to this, so I'm just letting them know. Um, uh, I, I would be probably looking for, I, the answer I'd probably be looking for is around four to five hours 
given I've got X, Y, and Z to uh, get these things done. That's, that's for me, the ideal answer, but a variation of that I, it, to me also gives me a good indication. Yeah, fantastic. Depending on the complexity. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But so that's that's that sort of sort of sums up what you sort of say about trying to find the right person. There's obviously is a lot there's a lot to it. It's not just as simple as just uh, oh you're the right person for this job by the sound. Yeah. Of it. <laughs> um, what's the uh, what's the next step in your process? Yeah, so step 2 is to create a clear vision. Um and there's two components of that. The first is uh the strategy, so um really understanding um, technically what this is uh, and what the advice is. And then the second step is aesthetics. So how does it look in the SOA Um, and what does the advisor like? Um, So when you're looking for a paraplanner, um, and we've already spoken a bit about technical knowledge and and those kind of things, so we won't go back over that. Um, But the, the second component here is the aesthetics. And this is where we see a lot of to and fro between the advisor and paraplanner, um, regardless of whether it's in-house or outsourced. And the reason being is that a licensee has a template um, and then we typically see each advisor has a variation of that that they like. Over time, it may slightly change. So they might change some colors of things or they might like certain things centered or those kind of things, formatting. Um, And then by the time it comes to you as a paraplanner, if you don't have that refined, very clear set out of how exactly you want it formatted and all of those little simple things that add up, it can become frustrating for both you, the paraplanner and the advisor communicating that. Um, So we've, we came up with for CPS, we came up with a way to kind of bridge that gap and reduce that to and fro. And we call it a style guide. So essentially when a new client, a new advisor signs up with us, we spend about an hour with them asking them questions, all different questions about how they like things set out. What are their preferences? What kind of spacing do you like? What colors do you like? How do you like us um, what names do you like us to use with the advi- uh, the clients? Is it nicknames? Is it full names? Like all these types of little questions. What is your licensee split? All of those simple things, we document them because they stay the same for every single SOA. And it's like a reference guide for the paraplanner to go, okay, so I've got the foundation here in my style guide. I know I just need to put together the strategy and get that into the SOA. And as long as those two things marry up, the advisor will be happy, right? So you can do the same thing with your paraplanner. Sit down and really think about what are the things that are important to you in an SOA in terms of how it looks and how it's laid out. Even just bullet point it. And then each time, if you're getting an SOA and there's something in there that you don't quite like, just add it to the um, style guide and say, I actually prefer it like this. So each time the paraplanner, even if you're changing your paraplanner, You've got this standard reference guide, so you don't have to go over it every single time when you're you're reading through that uh, feedback and reviewing the SOAs. Yeah, this is a really good tip for each advisor to have their style guide. As you said, even if they're changing their paraplanner to be able to say, this is what we we want want it to look and feel and, uh, you know, to look like and and the clients to experience. Um, So also when we're going through it with the client, we can actually, we know our way around it as well. How, How do they create a style guide? 
Yeah, so we've just kept it really simple. It is literally a Word document and we have um, just bullet points. So if any of your listeners out there, any anyone out there wanting to look for it, see an example of this, just uh, contact me and I'm happy to send it through and give you an example of ones that we we use. But it's literally just bullet point. And then sometimes if it needs further explanation, we'll put a little blurb underneath. So we don't try and overthink it. It will be a couple of pages. Um, and so it's just a kind of quick reference guide, which will cover off the entire SOA. Yeah, that's, a, that's a really good tip, Richard, to Haley, if you're looking for that. Uh, now, the next thing, um, just just on this clear vision concept, we sort of skipped over the idea around strategies. And, and um, you know, a lot of the time, advisors will have their philosophy on the way that, you know, their investment philosophy or their, um, their you know, insurance, you know, needs analysis philosophy or whatever it might be. Is that included in the style guide or is that something you could go through separately? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'm glad you asked it um, because that is an important point of the style guide. Um once again, advisors do have their preferences. Uh, they like certain products in certain situations and those kind of things. They like to see certain things in the, in the modeling and assumptions and that kind of stuff. All of that can be captured um, in the style guide. So kind of look at the style guide as in um, it's pretty much it's not going to change per SOA. It's going to be the same standards with every SOA. The only thing that wouldn't go in there is something that would change that specific to that client. So anything else that's general goes in the style guide, anything that's specific to the client and um, that stays separate in a file note. Fantastic. Thank you for clearing that up. Um, so that, that takes us through the, the clear vision. Uh, what's the next part of the process? Yeah. So the next one is uh, step three, and that is to agree to clear deadlines. Now, I know that sounds really simple, um, but in practice, we often see this blows out right? Um, and the worst case scenario, and we've se- I've seen this, I've done this personally myself when I was power planner, is you are printing an SOA just as the client has walked in for their meeting. And it, it is chaos, like chaos. And what it means is that um, you're not taking the time to make sure um, that you have paid attention to those details and the things. It's when I've made the most mistakes is when I'm rushed. When, as soon as that advice is ready, so you're like you both agreed that we're ready to go to an SOA, um, you're having the conversation with the power planner and you're communicating that to them. A big part of that conversation is when do you need this back by? As in, when is the client booked in? And it's not, can I have it back that morning? It is, can I have it back two days prior? At least it needs to be finalized because it gives you breathing space. It means the advisor is ready for that meeting, the SOA is good and done. Um, and it's also giving the paraplanner some, a little bit of space. If anything does go wrong, there's a little bit of space to fix that up. So what I mean by finalized is the SOA is written. It's been checked by the advisor. The final proof has come through. Everybody's happy and we're good to go. Um, setting those clear deadlines also can be breaking down further. So when is that first draft going to get to the advisor? If there's information that is still required to write that SOA, when is that going to be completed by? And what are the consequences if it's not? Uh, so we, as soon as you set those clear expectations, everybody's on the same page and you'll avoid those times when it's just rushing into client meetings where all the mistakes generally happen. It's uh, it's the worst feeling, isn't it? Walking into a meeting. I know. And I know. And I like, there's been so many, like I can remember 
when I was at Paraplanet and you were printing as the client was coming in. And if you see a mistake on the printout and you just go, do I, <laughs> this is a question, do I like fix this now and then make the client wait or will they see it? Or do you know what I mean? And it's just, it's awful. It feels awful doing it. Yeah, and the answer, of course, is does it, it depends. It depends. Yes, it depends. That's right. That's what it always comes back to, isn't it? Yeah. So, t- talk to me about deadlines, for example, because I mean, uh, the turnaround time for SOAs has been, you know, got long, seems to have got longer and longer over time. If, is it? Am I right there? Or? Yeah, it gets longer with the length of the SOAs. That's right. That's it. <laughs> um, so, with uh, to give you an indication, so in-house, obviously, it depends on uh, the workflow of that advisor. It depends. Um, but outsourcers, you will tend to see that they should turn around within a week. I feel like we should guarantee a turnaround time for advisors, which is why CPS does it. Um, and if you're not getting that deadline from your outsourcer, ask for it and just say, can you tell me when I'm going to have this back? Because I have client meeting booked two days after, you know, so make sure you set that expectation, even with your outsourcer from the, from the start and have that conversation about cool. So we're agreeing that this is going to be the first draft will be done by then. I will have these things done by then, you know, um, so that everybody knows what to expect from the outset. Yeah, that's really interesting. You mentioned the guarantee word there. Um, did you say you do? You do guarantee? Yeah, we do. So we have a, a seven business day guarantee turnaround, um, which our advisors really like. And it doesn't mean that they always take seven business days. It just means that you will have it back within seven business days. So, And, and I, I feel like advisors need that. Um, it's so difficult to plan and get clients in when you don't even know when that work's coming back. It could be two weeks. It could be six weeks. Who knows? So with with the best outsourcers, I would actually hold them to a, a, de- a delivery date at the very least. Yeah, I guess that means that the advisor can make the, the call in the in the first meeting to or, or whatever meeting they're up to to say, right, we're going to provide you the advice. Come back in two weeks from now, and we'll book the date in right now, and then knowing that the the, the SOA is going to be back in time. Yeah, absolutely. Booking the client in when they're still warm. Like if you if you know your outsourcer takes a week. If you've still got the client in the office, just like you said, it's cool. I'll book you in for two weeks and we'll be set. We'll be good. Yep. yep. Fantastic. All right. So that's the uh, agreeing the deadlines. Uh, step three. Talk, talk to us about step four. Yeah. So um, this is also really important. So you need to develop a really strong relationship with your power planner. Um, and this is in-house and outsourced. I know that um, there's kind of this idea that, outsourcers are not really a part of the team and there's like this separation because they're not physically there. Outsourcers are, are paraplaners, right? And it is a very isolated role. Um, and to have that kind of interaction and engagement and feel like a part of the team is when you will get the best out of your paraplaner um, because they will feel also a stronger accountability to, for their work and um, towards you and their team. Um, so just keep that in mind in that um, and developing that a big part of it is taking into consideration what it's like for a power planner to first start in the new role, whether it's outsourced or in-house, you go through the same thing. So you could be as experienced as you like as a power planner, but if you start working with a new advisor, 
you have still a lot of things to learn um, and that are specific to that advisor, their systems and processes, who their team are, their products, um, you know, developing that style guide, those kind of things. Um, so take the time to make sure, firstly, that they're confident in that role, as in do they have everything that they need? It could be simple things like logins for all the softwares. Um, if they're going to be in-house, setting them up with an internal email, have that sitting and ready for them. Having a list of frequently asked questions in your in your business or things that you go, the paraplanner, the last paraplanner found this really useful. You might, here's, here's a couple of reference points. Making the training as seamless as possible, but also taking time with them just to sit and get to know them as well. And it probably sounds a little bit weird with an outsourcer in particular, like getting to know them. Um, but these could be simple things like having a 30-minute chat with them when you first meet them and say, cool, this is how we work. You know, what are the things that you like to do? And I like to do these things. And just kind of developing that over time, I think, is really important um, because then you'll tend to see that your power planner will stick around for a lot longer because they feel like they're, they're more included in that, in that team. Um, and finally, a, a really good couple of examples of SOAs is so valuable to a power planner because we, that's the way that we're setting the clear expectations to go, this is what we want ideally. This is what we're working towards. And I can use that as another reference point um, to, to create the same work that you've been um, accustomed to as well. Yeah, it, it seems fairly obvious to me that, you know, having that longer term relationship with um, the power planner or the power planner having a longer term relationship with the with the advisor that they're looking after and getting to know all those, just the little things about how they like things and, um, and or whether it's their their lack of file notes or the lack of whatever it might be that they, that they get <laughs> understanding what that person means by that, um, that phrase. Um, but I just want to ask you a question on this because it's, it, it's, it's simple. If I guess it's a lot simpler if you've got one power planet advisor, but of course, how do you do this if, if um, you've got like two or three different power planets? Because obviously, you know, maybe, um, you know, from time to time, some people want to go on holiday and uh, take some time off. How, how do we work that with more than one power planner? Yeah, so it really, I was, I was just going to say, it really depends. Um, but essentially what I found worked quite quite well, if you are outsourcing, I would use an intermediary company like CPS. There's other ones like Padua um, where, you, where you're working. There's an intermediary there. So they can help manage that relationship as well. So the power planner also feels remains a part of a team if it's not your team. If it's in-house, you've got multiple power planners, I would really consider um, having like a team mentor, team leader, power planning leader, um, someone there who the other power planners can kind of work with and look up to as well to build a secondary relationship. Um, but primary, it, it needs to be a good power planner advisor relationship, I think, because even when you've got multiple power planners, you're going to see um, different variations of the same work unless you have that direct relationship with the advisor and the power planner. So try and get someone else, uh, have someone else in a bit of a leadership role in that team, whether it's a manager or not, you know, depends on the situation. But in any instance, every power planner needs to have a good relationship with the advisor to make sure that if someone's not there, the senior's not there, 
or, um, you know, there's changes in the team, there's always one solid foundation there. Yeah, fantastic. And of course, um, you know, the a lot of the building that good long-term strong relationship um, evolves around amazing communication and, uh, you know, both ways. I guess that leads us into uh, the, the fifth point here. Yeah, it does. Um, so this is uh, quite important, which is to give regular feedback. So as a power planner, it can be quite tough um, because the look, an SOA can be subjective, even though there's obviously the standard stuff. What you, Fraser, want in an SOA and what I want in an SOA could be completely different things, even if they're both compliant, right? Um, so the feedback is the key here. And giving consistent and clear feedback is what is going to save your life in the long run. So initially, it is going to take a lot more time. Absolutely, you're going to have to invest into the process. But over the long run, you will see the fruits of your labor, essentially. So a couple of tips on here. I've seen a lot of different ways that feedback have, has been provided before. Um, working with so many different advisors and the most effective feedback that I've ever seen. And if you want, a, I will throw out a name and, and it's uh, Corey Wassell from Verse Wealth. He's the king of this. I've been on the receiving end of this and it, it was just, it was like a magical experience getting this feedback. I look forward to it. I'll give you an example of what actually happened. So what happened was Corey would review the document himself. So he'd go through it he'd turn on track changes on the Word document so you could see any work that he was doing or changing in the SOA. Then once he'd gone through it, he would then turn on Loom, some kind of screen recording software. You could do it in Zoom, whatever floats your boat. You have the document document up on the screen, pop your little face in the corner so we can see who, who's talking and you know what your facial expressions are to get that feedback as well. And talk them through it, scroll through it. Say, I changed this because of X. I don't like it, this part, but I've done this. Here's an example. And then he always ended it saying, can you add these things to your ref? I, we had a reference guide. So can you add these things to your reference guide? You know, they've changed slightly. I want to do this now. Um, and what it meant was a couple of things is we had a video. So if I couldn't quite pick up the feedback straight away, I could go back and watch that part and get it explained again. And then I also had a document that had it written in there, what his changes were and his example for it. And then over time, you'd find because of that, it was so clear and effective. He'd only have to do it once and then you're cutting down that to and fro. So take the time to give that feedback. But you'll find that after five or so SOAs, you're probably only looking at a couple of key things to check it and make sure it's right, which is where you'll start to see the reap the rewards of your work. And finally, also have that, that meeting or the phone call with them just to say, I just wanted to have a quick chat with you. Here's my video. But um, overall, I thought this, let's focus on these things. And it's also an opportunity just to check in and say, yeah, cool, I'm overall happy because it's hard to tell it's hard to tell written, like it's hard to tell what advisors actually thinking and feeling. And then finally, if you are seeing consistent things being repeated, even though you've given that feedback, I think you need to approach it in a different way and say, uh, think about it from a vision of like, what can we change so that this stops happening? Because paraplaners don't do it on purpose. It could be just something simple that's tricking them up. Could be the software, the template, who knows? 
Um, so kind of changing that conversation, saying what, what can we change to stop this from happening in future, which is where the most effective feedback comes in. But if you're finding that you're constantly to and fro all of the time and it's the same stuff and it's frustrating, everyone's getting frustrated, take the time to really think about how you give the feedback to make sure it's clear and it's well communicated to your paraplanner. Yeah, fantastic. And a shout out to Corey. And it doesn't surprise me at all that that uh, it was very good because he, he does love uh, a loom video and um, just jumping yeah. off and explaining things. And you're absolutely yeah. right. If you write some feedback, it can, it can be taken in the way that the person well, the mood of the person isn't at, at the time when they're reading it, whereas a video yeah. in, in a nice, softly spoken way, and this is what we, this is what I've changed, and this is what I'd like, and can you update your um, style guide or whatever we want to call the document? Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so that's a really good tip. Well done. And of course, I'm also thinking around the concept of um, of regular times in the diary where you actually do these feedback conversations. Um, if you're going to do a quick catch up, even if, even if it's just to say I'm really happy with everything. Yeah, I, I love that because. Uh, we still at CPS, we have a, an SOA rating. So it's like Uber, you know, how they give you that. They go, how was your driver straight after you finish? We do pretty much the same thing without every SOA. So we're getting kind of a real time feedback as to how an advisor feels about that quality of that SOA. Um, but it needs to extend further than that. So we could be having a paraplane and getting four or five stars all the time, but um, until we actually have the conversation with the advisor, we don't really know, you know, what they're thinking. They could just be being nice. And um, so having that conversation with your paraplanner, they would love that. And it just kind of re reaffirms that relationship that you have with them as well. Yeah, fantastic. So those are your, those are your, uh, your five points, finding the, uh, the right person, assessing them, you know, checking their skills, uh, creating a clear vision. Um, agreeing to the deadlines and the outcomes and, and who's going to do what by when, uh, developing strong relationships and giving regular feedback. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, just while I've got you there, I wanted to talk about um, some of the objections. What are some of the objections people have to using outsources and, and, and how do they sort of get their head around it? Yeah, so a consistent one we get is concerns over confidentiality and, and the, the protection of the information. So as you can understand, there is a huge transfer of data. The right outsources don't actually own that data. Um, so what actually happens with most of the bigger outsources is that we will use a login to your software and you have full control over what we do and don't see. Um, and you'll, uh, you also need to look for um, security policies of that company. So, uh, for example, we have in place saying, cool, when the SOA is finished, the paraplanner needs to go through these five things to um, make sure, you know, no data is kept on their computer for that particular client. We only access things in these times. So the protection of the data makes complete sense to me as well, is making sure that everything is safe there. And I think there's kind of this reservation of using onshore and offshore, like offshore is more is riskier. I don't know if that is actually the case because my kind of thought is like it's all over the internet. So I don't know why a location really does matter. I can see it like certain points, but I think as long as you're working with a reputable company or a reputable outsourcer, that's probably the key thing in terms of protecting your data. Um, the only other thing that the other thing that we find commonly comes up is the cost of uh, outsourcing an SOA. So uh, most providers either work in a per plan basis um, fee 
or they'll work on an hourly basis. I, I recommend working with a per plan basis because what it means is that it's an incentive for a power planner to work faster um, if they're working with the same advisor every time. And then um, secondly, you know exactly what it's going to cost straight up. So sometimes things will blow out. Sometimes SOAs take twice as long as you initially think, but the power planner wears it because they probably have learned something from that as well. Um, so you'll get to understand the cost um, straight up if you have a per plan um, basis as well. So those are probably the key things is like the cost and, you know, how to factor that in and um, the the security. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, the cost per plan is obviously fairly simple for um, when you're pricing your advice you know, process to understand if it's going to cost approximately this. Therefore, I can easily price that into my process. I don't have to worry about how long it's going to take or, or not take. Um, just on the location, though, because I find this really interesting. Um, you know, as you mentioned, the data is on the internet, not you know necessarily in a, in, a, in a secure location like we always used to you know, keep information in a locked filing cabinet. Well, now it's in a in a global area, even though if it might be stored on servers in Australia, it's still accessible from anywhere on the web. And this is something that's really important. That's been the structure of your growth in your business as well as a, you know, as a contract power planning business um, to be able to grow and scale your business from say far North Queensland. Mm, that's exactly right. So in, in Cairns, like we're obviously quite limited in terms of not only as a power planner, your career options, but also there's not many people who live here. So um, having that kind of limitation in with your location uh, makes it difficult. I wouldn't be able to have the business this size if it was just based in Cairns. Like there's, there's no question. And the other thing as well is that um, scaling, if you're looking to scale, um, considering outsourcing or just having someone remote working opens up the possibilities in your candidates, right? Because you could have someone amazing over in Western Australia and you're on the East Coast. You then have that option if you are open to remote working to scale and it may make your recruitment process easier because you've got a much wider net to cast there. Yeah, I would imagine that's definitely the case with um, a lot of regional places in Australia anyway, being able to, to find great staff no matter where they are in the country. And you're absolutely right about remote working. It's um, it, it's if uh, if 2020 has taught us anything, it's how to how to be how to move your employees to a remote uh, zone and be able to either work from home or work from anywhere in the country. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I love that because um, some of the some reservations I think with that I've kind of heard with like remote working and, and when you have a salaried team member is like, oh, they're just going to slack off and watch Doctor Phil all day or whatever. Um, and it's actually not like that. Um, a lot of the studies suggest that the people who work from home are more productive than they would be if they're in the office. Um, and I think people really appreciate that flexibility as well. So um, I, my recommendation is just to be open to it because my entire team, my entire team is remote working and I wouldn't just hire a candidate because they're in cans. I would need to see like, they would have to also be amazing, just happen to be in Cairns as well. Yep. Yeah, fantastic. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that uh, that wisdom with us. Uh, of course, you've been able to grow, scale and grow your business over the past eight years to be quite a, a large organization and servicing uh, advisors here in Australia or I guess anywhere, wherever they are. Tell us, uh, what are the plans from here? What, what, what do you hope for the future to hold for you? 
Yeah, so we, um, I'm loving the size of the business, but we are definitely looking to scale. So um, just recently, we've seen a bit of a change in our team. I've had a day-to-day manager just uh, leave her role. And um, what it means for me is that instead of filling that role straight away, I'm looking to see what we can do with it um, to, to bring it back. Does it need to be a full-time role? I don't know. So that's the process I'm going through at the moment is reviewing it and understanding it and then seeing if we can use systems to replace some of it. I don't think we can do it with all. I still think you need the client face-to-face stuff. Um, so our focus, we're really interested as well in innovation and kind of pushing this to the limit with the SOAs. I think there's a lot of movement with SOAs at the moment. People are starting to um, explore other options and, you know, uh, technology and that kind of stuff. So essentially we're looking to grow, but we're also um, looking in other areas in terms of innovation as well. Fantastic. And so you'll be able to take that innovation to the existing guys that use you. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we pretty much are just testing things to see how they work. And that's, to me, that's what a big part of a power planet is, is to understand what is out there um, to make the advisor's life uh, easier. Because I think advisors, their time is best spent with their clients and the power planner needs to take the back office and really um, do what they can to make the advisor's life easier and, and do what they're good at as well. Fantastic. I think that was very well put and we'll probably leave it there. So thank you, Hayley, so much for coming on the XY Advisor podcast. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Fraser. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, there you have it. Another episode of the XY Advisor podcast. And now we are, I'm joined with Emily. Hey, Emma. Hey, Fraser. How's it going? Hey. Um, it's tr- tremendous. Thank you for asking. Uh, and now a uh, really cool part of the week when we get to do some shout outs and uh, talk about some uh, XY members. Yes, you know, my favorite part of the week. So today's shout out goes to two XY legends, Anita Maku and Kathy KS. So Anita posted into the platform saying she needed some help to compare a direct uh, insurance policy, couldn't figure out how to do it on Risk Researcher. Kathy came in, they jumped on a call. Kathy was able to walk Anita through it. Anita then did a screen share video to explain to everyone else in the XY community and shared that video. There's been comments in there to say, thank you so much for sharing, got lots of value out of it. Just a real classic case of peer-to-peer collaboration um, and being able to solve a problem and, and get to that quicker than we could trying to figure it figure it out on our own. So amazing stuff, Anita and Kathy. Thank you for collaborating. And more importantly, thank you for sharing it with everyone else on the platform. Really appreciate it. Hey, that was really well said. Well well done, Anita. Well done, Kathy. That was a uh, you know, perfect conversation to put on XY and to, and to get that, uh, that video across. Awesome work. Well done. Good shout out. 